Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Superspeed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, everybody, and, and welcome to the first week of June in the first week of June edition here of Next on the T. And I don't know, can you believe it? I mean, it's June already. I don't know, is it just me or do you feel like you just got the Christmas decorations back up in the attic and, and we're going to be taking them down here in just a few weeks at the rate this year seems to be flying by? I mean, we're nine days from the start of the U.S. Open and the Masters feels like it was just a couple of weeks ago for crying out loud. And think about this, folks. The Open Championship at Royal Portrush starts on July 18th. It's only 44 days from now. So when that's over, the majors for this year are going to be over. And for all intents and purposes, and look, you know, when when we get through, you know, the last major of the year, and typically in years past, right, it's been the PGA Championship. And now this year, obviously, with the with the changing of that date, we've got the Open Championship. But, you know, now you know, it seemed like it used to be forever when the PGA championship was over until we had to look all the way around to the next April for the masters. Right. And now it's going to be July. And now we're going to be looking all the way to April for the masters. I mean, that's going to feel like a hundred years. I mean, as, as fast as this year has gone by, it feel like a hundred years before the masters comes back again. And look, I love the tour championship right here at Eastlake. It's a great tournament run by some great people on a fantastic golf course, but we live and die by the majors. And that's going to be gone in less than 50 days. So I'll tell you, here, here's my my recommendation for you and for myself. Breathe it in, folks. You know, starting next week at Pebble Beach, breathe all we can in of this major's golf season because it is going to be over in the blink of an eye. And then it's going to be forever to April when we have the Masters come back again. All right, on to tonight's show, right? We've got, if, this, if you're looking for great instructions, so great tips, great instructional help, right? Plus tips to how to determine. If you've got the right set of golf clubs in your bag, boy, tonight's show is a special treat for you and for me, for that matter. My first guest is going to be 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year and current Director of Instruction at Monterey Peninsula Country Club, and that is Kevin Roman. I'm going to talk to Kevin about the upcoming U.S. Open there at Pebble Beach, which is just down the street from where he's at. We'll get uh, a lot of comment about that. I'll get Kevin's insights into what he thinks it's going to take to win there, right? What kind of player is it going to take? What are, what are some of the key things that a player is going to have to do in order to find himself at the top of the U.S. Open leaderboard come the weekend? What are the go- what are the course conditions going to be like? So what should we expect to see out there? Then I also want to talk to him about his teaching philosophies and plus obviously get some playing lessons from him, particularly around playing in windy conditions and how we can control our shot trajectory and those kind of conditions. So really looking forward to having Kevin back on the show with me. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of his neighbors out there in Southern California and one of the top instructors in the game as well, and that's Allison Kurt. Allison is a PGA and LPGA master professional. She's one of only nine women to earn master professional status on the PGA side and one of only two women to be a master professional on both the PGA and LPGA side. So Allison, very accomplished. She's the 2015 LPGA National Teacher of the Year. 
I'm going to talk to her about her golf journey, including some very difficult gender bias situations that she's had to deal with over the course of her career. We'll also talk about some playing lessons from her, get some short game playing tips, plus how to hit good shots out of fairway bunkers. I don't know about you, but that's another one of the areas that I struggle with. So looking forward to getting some tips to how, how to hit better shots there. So looking forward to having Allison back on the show with me, and she'll join me about a half an hour from now. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with Golf Digest Top 100 Club Fitter Scott Felix. I love having Scott on the show because he can help us determine, do we have the right clubs? in our bag that is suited for our game. So he'll help us, you know, figure out if, if we're on the right track there or not. Plus, also want to talk about with him, you know, the misconception is typically that club fitting is only for tour players, when really the opposite of that is what's true. We all need help getting, you know, playing our best game and getting fit. And Scott is just the guy to do it. So if you're anywhere near Memphis, Tennessee, you need to go see Scott Felix. FelixClubWorks.com is his site. Uh, so you go check that out as well. So learn how to get uh, get the most out of your game by being fit properly for your golf clubs. And Scott's the guy to help you do that. So looking forward to having him back on the show about 45 minutes from now. So there you go, folks. We got a lot more great information and stories coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You know, I always like to start off by talking about my good friends, Mitchell and Matthew Lawrence. They both have great golf shows. Mitch is called Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, are going to let you know about great places to play, stay, and even eat and drink while you're there. You can stream their po- or his podcast along with Darren Bunch, so I guess their podcast, over on GolfTripX.com, and that's a letter X. You can find it on great sites like Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm as well. His twin brother, Matthew, also has a great show. It's called Backspin Golf, and his show airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. And his show, so much fun because Matthew's just a blast to listen to, and it's a great way to kick off your Sunday mornings. Again, the show is called Backspin Golf. You can stream it online at WLXG.com or doing what I did, which is download the WLXG app. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's give a listen to Steve Rondonero as he talks about what they've got going on this summer. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens. And, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the courses champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. There you go, folks. Check it out online, FrenchLick.com. See for yourself. What a wonderful place. i got a casino on the property as well, folks. Check it out online again, FrenchLick.com. You can see all the great amenities that they have available for you and book your stay as well. Also want to remind you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, I'm telling you what, do yourself a favor. Get a demo iron of either their Fort Worth PTX, new PTX Pro, 
or edge irons and take it out on the range and compare it to whatever it is you've got in your bag. Now, all Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, plus their new GS53 drivers and fairway woods. And we'll talk about them later on in the show. But check them out online at BenHoganGolf.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their summer collection out. The thoughtful selections are rooted in character and endurance. And the signature details and colors and fabrics are there for you. I'm telling you, you're going to love them. They're beautiful looking, soft to wear, moisture wicking, everything you can hope for in a golf shirt. They've got it for you. So go online and check it out and see for yourself what a wonderful collection they've got out for this summer by going to bobbyjones.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Kevin Roman. Let me remind you a little bit about Kevin's background. He was a golf pro at Cherokee Town and Country Club here in Atlanta for several years, and Cherokee is one of the most prestigious pair of clubs here in the Atlanta area. Membership is by invitation only, folks, so great golf course here in the Atlanta area. Now he's the director of instruction at Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which includes two beautiful courses, the Dunes and the Shore course. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Besides being one of the top instructors in the country, Kevin's a great player. He's played in a couple of majors, including the 1993 U.S. Open at Baltus Roll and the 2009 PGA Championship up at Hazeltine. While he was here in Georgia, he was named the PGA Teacher of the Year back in 2014. And I'm honored he's back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Kevin, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you're the best in the business, and it's great to be with you. Ah, I appreciate you. So, Kevin, I, w- I want to start off. We're, we're nine days away from the U.S. Open being out there just down the street from where you're at at, at, at Pebble Beach. And uh, and I imagine things are starting to get stirred up out in that area. So talk about what it's like right now as uh, we sort of build up to the U.S. Open out there. Yeah, um, you can see, feel a lot more energy in the area right now of everybody getting ready. Um, for the influx of players starting probably on Sunday at the latest. Uh, I know Tiger was out last week playing a practice round, um, but you're going to see a lot more players coming in towards the weekend and, and getting going. Are the, are the locals excited about the event, or is this one of those where they're just waiting for all of us to get out of town so life can go back to normal? That's a good question. I mean, you get a little bit of each. I mean, some people, you know, don't like the crowd, so they leave. And But by far... Um, Everybody's really excited about it. I know from our club perspective, you know, our tea sheets are getting pretty full. Um, all the members are coming into town for this week. So to me, there's a lot of excitement at the club. And, you know, we're doing a, I'm doing a kickoff uh, clinic for our members with Peter Jacobson, which will be a lot of fun on Wednesday evening. And every wow. night, the rest of the week, yeah, every night, uh, the rest of the week, they have something planned for the members, something special. So it's going to be a good week for everybody here. So, Kevin, give us a little insight based on, you know, the weather conditions that you've had out there recently. Give us a, a glimpse of what course conditions might be like out there. What should we expect to see at Pebble Beach and the condition of the golf course? Yeah, that's going to be interesting this year because it's really our record rains uh, this past winter and spring. Um, the reservoirs are full and they usually are down pretty low now. So the rough, uh, I happened to drive over and take a look the other day, the rough is extremely thick. I'm sure they're going to cut it down a little bit before the tournament, but 
they've got it where they want it. Uh, hardy, thick. Uh, it's very juicy, so it's it's tough to get the club through it. And they narrowed the fairways uh, tremendously. So I think you're going to have to have a, a pretty straight driver win the game, uh, win the tournament. But uh, the fairways are a little soft right now, so they may make it a little wider for some of the bombers to, to keep it in play. Yeah, that, that was sort of my next question. You know, what do you think? Is it is this going to be a bomber's paradise? Is, is someone like a Brooks and a DJ going to have uh, a lot of uh, advantage over the rest of the field? Or do you think driving accuracy and, and short game is going to rule the day? Yeah, I think they're trying to, to bring driving back into this one a little bit, which is nice to see with the width of the fairways. Uh, you know, there's still a lot of birdie holes at Pebble Beach, but there are some really – you know, difficult long holes. They've added some new tees to some of the holes that make them. The par fours are actually longer than the par five uh, six hole. So accuracy off the tee is going to be good. If the fairways get firm, I think it'll really uh, make it interesting because people will be running into the rough more often. I really think an accurate player will have more advantage the firmer they get. And talk a little bit about the greens. How, what do you think about green condition? Is this is uh, Pebble Beach going to be a lightning fast hard green? Or do you think you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the fairways being softer? Are we going to see some softer greens that are going to be a little more receptive to shots? Well, that's what it looked like. Um, the forecast for the next week, though, is starting to warm up pretty good for out here with a lot of sunshine. So they'll probably dry out a lot more. Um, they're very small. The people don't really have a, an understanding of how small they are. I think they average just over 3,000 square feet. And, you know, they're some of the smallest greens on tour. So if you can hit the greens, you can make a lot of birdies. However, if they do get them to dry out a little bit and play firm, a lot of balls will bound through the green, and, and really you've got to be a magician around the green with your wedges to the save par. And Kevin, we, we hear an awful lot, and I know I talk about this with respect to Augusta National, that TV doesn't do justice to what the course is actually like. At Augusta National, I talk about how the elevation change is something you just don't get a sense for when you're watching it on TV. Is there something about Pebble Beach and the golf course that we just can't get a really true sense for when we're watching it on TV? Oh, yeah. There's there's a lot of elevation change at Pebble. A lot of people don't see. They'll see holes like, you know, number six with the big plateau uh, that they play up over with a blind shot. However, most of the holes out there, once you get off the first uh, three holes, you start playing up onto the hillside. So you're really playing off of a lot of side slopes the whole way, ball below your feet or ball above your feet and a change of elevation. So it is very much a, uh, a shot maker's course because you've got to control the ball off those different lines. Kevin, I want to switch gears a little bit. And I saw your tweet about golf course design and setup being something that you think is overthought, especially regarding drivable par fours. What do you think about what you're seeing in course design now that you think that they are overthinking? Yeah, they're trying to, they're trying to turn par holes that were meant as par fours into a drivable par four, thinking it's going to add, uh, excitement. However, a hole that's designed as a par four, isn't really designed as a driver of a par four, if that makes sense. Um, you see some of the courses like at the PPC, that 17th hole, which is drivable with a hazard on the left. That hole is designed that way. Um, I know at Pebble, there's a possibility of a playing a new tee on number 10 to the right of the ninth green. And you can really get close to the green if not on it, some of the longer hitters uh, with the right conditions. But to me, the 10th hole, you know, is a great hole from back there, playing down the fairway with the hazard on the right. 
to me, there was no reason to try to make something like that a drivable hull, but that's just my kind of my take on it. If the hull is designed that way, that's fantastic, and, and I, I love drivable par fours. However, I don't think you take a regular par four and just move up a tee and try to entice people to hit driver at the green for excitement purposes. Kevin, from a teaching perspective, I know you're a proponent of plain truth golf. Tell our listeners that weren't around last time what plain truth golf is. Yeah, uh, it was started by uh, Jim uh, Hardy and Chris O'Connell. And basically, they've been tremendous with a, a lot of instructors and you can get certified if, if people like. And their whole premise is to them is about ball flight and impact. And many times today, uh, teaching has become very technical, very uh, position-oriented, whereas what they teach is ball flight and impact, and really you can get quick improvements with any student because if a person, say, too shallow, sweepy, or hooky, you just need to find an angle that we call a steeper angle to neutralize that impact, or vice versa, if someone steep slices, you know, and then pulls the ball a lot to the left, you get some shallow angles. So, to me, it's very easy to get uh, instant improvement with most players. And I saw you recently spent some time with Jim Hardy, who is, you know, a world golf teaching Hall of Famer and a founder, uh, really, of, of Plain Truth Golf. So talk about some of the new things that you learned when you saw him a, a week or so ago. Yeah. The, the good thing about Jim is his passion to help people is beyond off the charts. You know, we get done doing a golf school. I do two of them a year out here with the members. And literally from the moment we finish the first day, we do two half days. The minute we finish, he's talking about each student, what he might have been able to say differently to get them to do something, um, what we're going to do tomorrow to make them better. And then we're at the course at 7 a.m. the next morning getting ready. And he's already talking about all the students again, how we're going to approach them in this. So his passion to get people to play better immediately right away and to help people is is top-notch. And Kevin, I'm hearing more and more instructors being a proponent of sort of, you know, swing your swing, right? Not forcing students to have that sort of classic perfect swing that, you know, that uh, we may have in mind. And and uh, I love the idea of that individuality, like we see with, you know, players like Jim Furyk or historically like Lee Trevino or Raymond Floyd. And you commented on it with Patrick Welch, who plays at the University of Oklahoma. But as an instructor, is that something that, you know, that you really think, you know, hey, look, I, I can work with you no matter what your swing is like, and we maybe we tweak a thing here or there. Is it is that something that you that you really think that we can do? Is not not to have the classic swing, but boy, I can work with whatever your swing is. Yeah, exactly. You know, most people's bodies uh, they work the way that their muscles are or any physical limitations they have. So if you try to pigeonhole people into a model or look for certain positions that everybody else has, you start, you kind of get stymied after a little bit of improvement. You'll help some people, most definitely, but you'll also hurt people or not help other people because you're trying to get them to do something they can't do or doesn't match up to their mistakes. As long as you're always correcting the player's mistake, um, it, which to me is what the golf club tells the golf ball, ball flight and impact, you can't help but see, like I said before, immediate improvement. You're going to see a, a young golfer now, Matthew Wolf, has gotten a lot of publicity lately with a very 
what they would call an orthodox looking backswing, you know, getting the arms really high, club across the line, looping it down. Um, but just like Jim Furyk, you know, just like Ali Trevino, they bring the club back right to the position the club was at address, which makes them extremely repetitive and uh, accurate. And if the average person just thought about golf as saying, here's my golf club at address, if I can bring it close to that at impact, I should be pretty good because that's how they built this golf club. So the, the rest of the other stuff is window dressing, impact, and where the club is and the club face is, is, is the meat of the, the bone there. And Kevin, when, when you get a new student, how do you start out trying to figure out what they need and how to, you know, properly instruct them on how to, as you, as you say, return the golf club and the face of the golf club back to square and hit the ball. What what are some of the things that you are looking for in a new student to try to help them improve their golf game? That's a good question. If I told the average person when I start a lesson with anybody, I've already interviewed them, so I kind of know what their good clubs in their bag and what their bad clubs are, because certain clubs um, are better to be, say, steeper versus shallower. So I'll find out which clubs are not their friends and work backwards from there. So I already have an idea what I'm looking for before they hit. However, the first few balls that they hit, I honestly am just looking at the club head um, and the growth ball impact, where it's hitting the club face. Was it the heel, the toe? Is the divot deep, shallow? You know, the ball fading, hooking, slicing. What is it doing? And from there, I kind of personally, I look up and I'll look at the student, but I look through the student, uh, like the old 3D images. and what I'm looking for is just something that's going to jump off the page in my eyes that is the opposite of the impact. Where's the mistake? And I'm not looking for anything in particular, whereas if I looked at a person's hands, all I'm going to see is their hands. So I look through the person and everything kind of, lack of better words, gets blurry, but you can see all the detail of what they're doing. So if you have a slicer and the club is coming down too steep, okay, which angle or what part of the body is causing that to happen. And then I just, from there, work the opposite way with whatever part it is, and you should see pretty much improvement right away. It doesn't mean every ball is perfect, but you should see a lot more solid hits or more repetitive for a good player. Is there a is there a basic fundamental that you could share with our listeners that say, look, let's build everything off of this? Is that the grip? Is that stance? Is that posture? Is that ball position? What What is a basic fundamental that you see very frequently that we're doing wrong that is an easy fix? You know, I think the big one is, is going to be aim. Uh, I look at aims different. A lot of people think you should be parallel left um, with your shoulder to the target. We all hear that. However, if I said to you, put an alignment stick on the ground, aim it directly at your target. And then from there, when you get your setup, make sure your shoulders are right over the stick. Um, many, many people are aimed in a direction that they, 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 that is incorrect for where they think. And then they will make big compensations in their swing to try to get the golf ball to the target. So if they're aimed their shoulders directly at the target, I tell them, well, the club is about a foot and a half in front of you. In theory, if you hit every ball exactly where you're aimed, but the ball's a foot away from you, you'd hit it one foot right of the flag every time if you're a right-handed player. So I think if you can get the shoulders online, I don't look at my feet, I look at shoulders. 
And you'll see that with guys like Matt Kuchar. Everyone thinks he aims way to the right because his stance gets closed. Hogan's did the same thing. Um, you see in the five fundamentals, he played out of a close stance with his driver. However, the hips and shoulders are always at the target with both of those players. So if you can get the upper body square to the target, probably won't have to do any manipulating. And most people's swings will get a lot better. Um, the grip, you see all kinds of grips. David Duvall's was strong when he was number one in the world. Jose Maria's a lot of balls was extremely weak. So those are preferences to the person to a degree. But aiming the shoulders uh, at the target will start to keep the golf swing more neutral. Kevin, just a couple of more before I let you go. And being out there on the Monterey Peninsula, I imagine you play and deal with a lot of windy conditions, probably more as the norm than anything else. But when the winds are blowing, you know, 20, 25, 30 miles an hour, how do you adjust in order to get a good ball flight to not have the ball balloon on you? What, what are some things that we would need to do if we're out on the golf course and we're facing very windy conditions in order to play a good round of golf? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question because most people, the wind is the hardest thing for them to play. And even the tour players, they don't mind rain and stuff like that, but the wind makes it harder to control the ball. Um, the number one reason a ball um, rises balloons in the wind is spin. And the biggest contributor to creating spin is speed. So to me, uh, I still make the same length swing but I try to feel like it's a, a little bit slower. That keeps the spin off the golf ball, which actually makes it fly a little bit lower, but yet it doesn't lose a ton of distance because you're not hitting, like you said, up shooting ballooning. Um, I don't like to play the ball too far back. I may move it back in a tiny bit, maybe one ball or so, but I don't like to move it too far back because that will change our swing plane, and now the ball's going to curve more. So to me, just choke up on the club a little bit and – Maybe feel like you're swinging at about a 75% tempo. For most people, it's going to be probably faster than their other swing. However, because it's smoother, the ball doesn't have a tendency to upshoot in the wind. And that's very important not to, uh, to try to hit it too hard. To take lots of club, and then you won't swing as hard, and all of a sudden you'll realize the ball doesn't curve as much in the wind as you think it does if you hit it solid. Does the same philosophy hold true from, let's say, 100 yards in? Should we be, you know, swinging softer with a, a lower lofted club to keep the ball lower? Or what's your approach when you're looking at when typically you'd have a, a sand wedge or a pitching wedge in your hand? No, most definitely. Uh, almost everybody swings wedges too hard. And anytime you swing a wedge hard, like you said, it, it kind of slides up the face most of the time. And you're going to get varying trajectories. As, as Ben Hogan used to say, trajectory is control. So if most people don't need a lob wedge or a 60-degree wedge, but they have them in the bag, those are good for certain occasions around the greens or, you know, very firm bunkers. You can help pop it up and get it up a little bit higher. But if most people took out the sand wedge or the gap wedge, pitching wedge, and hit a lot of pitches from 100 yards in, three-quarter them, the ball flight comes down, and your accuracy and distance control would be a lot higher than and trying to hit full wedges. That, that's a great point, Chris. I mean, that's the one thing you fight with everybody. Everybody wants to hit their wedges really far, and their control and scoring clubs, not distance clubs. Kevin, before we let you go, remind our listeners about your home course now. You've got Monterey Peninsula Country Club. You've got two beautiful courses out there on site. Let everyone know about them. 
Uh, I'm, I'm so blessed. Uh, we have two courses ranked in the top 100. Um, the only other two courses that have that is Baltus Roller Wingfoot, so we're in a good company right there. Um, we've got two what I call different golf courses. We have the Dunes course, which is it's a little longer. Um, greens are very severe um, with a lot of undulation in them. Um, hitting to the right target or the right place on the green is of paramount. Um, the dunes, I mean, excuse me, the shore is a little bit more wide open. Um, you look, both of them play along the water, and the, they have holes right on the water playing over the, the ocean on 14 of the dunes. You're, you're playing off from a 170-yard shot over the ocean back to the green. It's pretty fun. Um, wow. But to have two courses in the top 100 in the country is very rare. Kevin, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, uh, Kevin Roman Golf uh, on Twitter and Kevin Roman on Facebook. And, you know, we're out here at Monterey Peninsula Country Club. If any viewers get out there, please give me a holler and uh, stop by. We can say hi or something. That'd be awesome. And, uh, you know, I always appreciate coming on to you. I'm still, to be honest with you, in awe of the question you asked last time. I'm going to recap on that one. Sure, a lot of people didn't know. You asked me about me getting a Bloody Mary spilled on my uh, clothes right before the PGA. <laughs> Right. I had forgot about it till you mentioned it and brought it up. I'm like, holy cow. I don't even know how you figured that one out. That was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> you 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 got some magic to get questions. I appreciate it. Kevin, it's always a joy having you as part of the show, my friend. I uh I hope you'll come back and join me again soon because it's always fun having you as part of the segment. Thanks so much. I mean, like I said, and I don't say that lightly. You're the best in the business, and uh, it's awesome to be on your show. I appreciate you very much, Kevin. Thank you so much for that. I look forward to catching up with you soon, my friend. And between now and then, all the you best to it. you and your family. You See too. See you, Kevin. Stay, stay cool in Atlanta. Goodbye. Thank you. See ya. That's Kevin Roman, R-O-M-A-N, at Kevin Roman Golf. You can follow him on social media. A lot of great tips, a lot of great videos out there for you to take a look at as well. Kevin's a lot of fun. He's a good man, and I, I really appreciate the fact that he took time out of his night to come back on the show. Looking forward to catching up with him again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Allison Kurt, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. First, and well, folks, you know, TaylorMade has done it again, right? The all-new M5 and M6 drivers are out there, and boy, what a story they have. Both feature speed-injected twist face created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and I do mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made tour spicy. So speed for all of us. Check them out online at tailormadegolf.com. I also want to give a shout-out to one of our newer sponsors, the Sandestin Resort. Surrounded by white sandy beaches around the beautiful Gulf of Mexico, Sandestin Golf and Beach Resort offers three championship golf courses open to the public and one semi-private course. With recognition from leading golf magazines and reviewers from around the world, each course provides an exciting challenge in different scenic settings. Golfers can choose to play one or all of the courses. you got the Raven Golf Course, which is a Robert Trent Jones Jr. layout that played host of the PGA Tour Champions back in 2006 and in 2007. The Lynx Golf Club, one of my favorites, designed by Tom Jackson, offers winding layouts around the backdrop of the Baytown Marina in Chakawachi Bay. Baytown Golf Club, also designed by Tom Jackson, offers a fifth set for U.S. kids and juniors. And the Burnt Hickory, or the Burt Pines Golf Club, which is a semi-private Reese Jones design, which is available to registered Sandestin guests. 
Visit them online at sandestin.com forward slash tea time or give them a call, 844-887-SAND to find out more information to book your tea times as well. And this segment of the show, folks, is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Dr. Allison Kurt. And let me remind you about Allison's background. She played her college golf at Florida State, where she was a two-time academic All-American, earned degrees in psychology and professional golf management. She moved out to Palm Springs back in 2004, became a teaching professional. She has been named the Western Section Teacher of the Year in 2012, 15, 17, and 18. She is a PGA and LPGA master professional. She is one of only nine women to earn the PGA credential and one of only two women to earn the dual master professional status on both the PGA and LPGA sides. Golf Tip Magazine has named her one of the top 25 instructors, along with our good friend Tom Patrick, plus Cindy Miller and, and Brady Riggs. If all of that wasn't enough, she has twice been named Club Fitter of the Year, including last year by the Southern California PGA. She earned, earned her doctorate in clinical psychology with an emphasis in sports psychology. She still competes on the LPGA Tour from time to time, especially in the Women's PGA Championship. Last year, not only did she become the first woman, woman from Southern California to ever qualify for the PGA Professional Championship, on the men's side, she made the cut, and her second round 71 was one of the best rounds of the day. And to give you some perspective of how tough the conditions were that day, the average score in the second round of the guys who finished in the top 10 that week, they scored 72.3. Allison shot 71. And that's not all the great stuff she's accomplished so far. But if I continue to read through it, I'd just be able to say hello and goodbye. And oh, by the way, friends, she's accomplished all of that. And she's only 37 years old. She's an amazing woman. I'm very honored to have her back with me tonight here on Next on the T. Good evening, Dr. Kurt. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, good evening. It's so great to hear your voice and chat with you again. It's certainly been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a minute, Allison. And, uh, you know, when I look over all the great things that you continue to achieve in and around the game of golf, I, I'm just I'm astounded by all the things that you're doing. Talk about I mean, you. it seems like you've got a thirst for not only learning, but for continuing to achieve and add to your resume. Talk about some of the things that you've done over the last year or so. It certainly is, and it's always interesting to hear how uh, people introduce me because it's sort of a reflection of like, wow, I got, I guess I have done quite a bit. You know, sometimes I'm just so tunnel vision and going, going, going. It's sort of refreshing to hear um, those acknowledgments, and so I thank you for that. That was a wonderful introduction. The past year has certainly been phenomenal. A lot of big things happening, but. You know, I feel like every year I say that, and I know you and I follow each other on social media and keep tabs on what's happening, and uh, every year just keeps getting greater and greater. But this past year, a lot of interesting things in both the PGA and the LPGA and organizations that I'm both members of certainly had some, some great playing with uh, qualifying for the PGA National Championship and making the cut. That was really exciting, and I played in KPMG last year at Olympia Fields in Chicago. And at the later half of the year, took a leadership role in the LPGA Teaching and Club Pro division and ran with Marvel Bernard 
for president and vice president. And so Marvel was elected president and I was elected her vice president. So I've certainly stepped up my game when it comes to the leadership role within the LPGA Teaching and Club Pro division. Um, and this year is is starting off with a bang. Certainly excited to qualify and play at another KPMG. It'll be my sixth LPGA major. And I leave in about two weeks to head to Chaska, Minnesota or Hazelty National Golf Course. And I'm um, really excited about that, playing in that. And just, um, you know, running both of my businesses. So teaching full-time, helping golfers with their mental game. And then in the nighttime, working as a psychotherapist at my private practice and helping athletes um, achieve peak optimization and be the best version of themselves. So there's there's always something uh, a few weeks ahead, and there's always stuff in the past that I'm reflecting on and enjoying. So it's, it's a really great time right now. And Allison, every one of the things you just talked about are full-time jobs, but you're doing all of them, <laughs> you know, consecutively or concurrently. And, and, you know, how do you do it? How do you find the time? How do you stay focused and all of those things to be able to do all the things that normal people like me would have to spend 40 hours a week doing? <laughs> That's funny that you say that because last week at a tournament, I was sharing with another professional gosh, I'm feeling kind of bored right now. What am I going to learn? Like, what, should I go take a class? Should I try to do something new? Like, I need something to get my hands into. <laughs> but really the motivation just comes from the feelings that I get when uh, when I achieve personally, whether that's through golf, whether that's through helping a student be their best, whether that's um, creating a new program in my section or trying to help change an organization so that they can serve the golf industry the best. I really just love the feeling of achievement. I love the feeling of contribution. And that service piece is very fulfilling for me. Um, how I find the time is really just managing. So I think that I really am pretty well engaged in a single task at one time, which a lot of people might call that being mindful. So when you just do one thing at one time, um, when I'm teaching, I'm only teaching. I'm not thinking about anything else on the face of the planet besides who's in front of me and how I can help them achieve their goals. And when I'm working with a client in my office, there's nothing else that exists besides that client on the couch and how I can help them reach their goals. And when I'm practicing on my own game, nothing else matters besides how I can help myself be the best version of me. And, you know, when I'm sitting down at emails and corresponding to different PGA and LPGA committees. That's my true focus. So I find the time by just truly being engaged. And I'm, I'm not really a big believer in multitasking where I've, you know, in the middle of an email and I'm also on a call and I'm thinking about something else and I'm watching TV. I don't really feel engaged in any one of those activities when I'm quote unquote multitasking. So I sort of take the approach that when I've got the task in front of me, I'm all in until it's completed. And Allison, you mentioned a moment ago the uh, the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, which, uh, as you said, you're qualified for again. I mean, talk about the the preparation for that. How what's the status of your golf game, and how do you feel heading into another women's major? In years past, I would say here's what I would do to prepare. But after going five times, there's there's only so much that you can really do. I mean, because let's be honest, this is the biggest stage and women's golf is any one of the majors, whether it's last week's U.S. Open or the ANA or KPMG, 
it's the biggest stage. And as a teacher who is busting her butt, uh, trying to practice and help other people and serve an organization, it's tough to prepare and be at the top of my game because I'm not doing this for 60 hours a week. I'm not practicing 60 hours a week. Um, I'm doing a whole bunch of other things. So certainly when I'm practicing, I'm trying to put myself in a position of what will it feel like based on my previous experiences. And all I can do when I show up is just to know that I've prepared with the time that I have to enjoy the experience, not get caught up in the idea of, of being at that event, but just really being authentic to myself that um, I'm a good competitive player. I deserve to be there. I'm going to try to play my best. And when the experience is over, then I am going to come home and continue to enjoy doing what I'm doing. Um, the best way for me to prepare is certainly getting the face time of just hitting balls and practicing and putting and chipping. Usually around this time, about two weeks out, I do a lot more playing on the golf course. Um, happy Women's Golf Day, by the way. And I was able to spend, right. um, spend 18 holes with one of my favorite college juniors on the golf course. And so we played 18 holes. So that was great practice for me, but also got to share the experience with her for Women's Golf Day. I go to Google Earth and I'll take a look at the golf course and just try to get a vibe for what I'm going to face um, when I'm there in a couple of weeks. And then mentally prepare, just run myself through different scenarios and see myself perform and have confidence and enjoy, enjoy the moment. My family is going to be there with me. Uh, I've got a great caddy, one of my teammates from college, who ironically, her name is Allison as well. Um, she's going to come out and caddy for me. So that will bring some good energy and just really excited for that. But in terms of preparation, I just can only do what I can do with the time that I have. And as you mentioned, today being Women's Golf Day, and I was curious to get your thought, what are some of the things that, that you're involved with or you're participating in, not just today, but really overall, but talking about how you're trying to help bring more women into the game of golf? Well, through the instructional side, there's always opportunities to create women's programs, and I'm certainly very involved at Wood Ranch Golf Club, where my home base is, trying to create programs for women. Um, that are specific to them and their level and using different teaching styles to match their level so that it's very enticing and fun for them to come out. Um, we've got a great group called the Pitch and Sip group where they'll go out and they'll play and then they're certainly sipping some wine after the round and they always enjoy that social piece, but also trying to encourage young girls to get into the game through the LPGA, USGA girls golf program. So as a host site at Wood Ranch Golf Club, I've created a couple of clinics to be held throughout the year where girls um, age 7 through 18 can come and, and get involved in the clinic. And not only is it golf, but also there's social aspects and fun activities. Um, so those are just two examples through the instructional side. Um, but I've become involved with my local LPGA Amateur Association group through Los Angeles, which is formerly the Executive Women's Golf Association, and working a lot individually with those players and, and helping them play better golf because it's way more fun to play golf when you're playing good golf. And that's the biggest encouragement to go back out and play is when, when you're playing well. So very involved with, with that group. I've certainly recently been involved on a speaking side um, with a women's golf summit in Southern California that we had a couple of weeks ago. And we had a variety of different speakers from all different facets of the industry 
And um, of course, I was able to speak on the instructional side, but the Women's Golf Summit had over 100 women attend, really get excited about playing, really get excited about networking with other women golfers. And um, lastly, what was just shared today through Callaway is Callaway and I teamed up as um, been one of their longtime master staffers, and we put together a bunch of instructional content on social media, going through the bag, driver, all the way down through putter. And that was released today on Women's Golf Day for um, all golfers, not just women, all golfers, to get some tips to help them play better as well through their social media handles. Ah, that's awesome. And I, I wanted to get, get a couple of tips before we let you go. But before we get to that, I want to talk about a couple of other things. And Allison, it was it was almost a year ago that I was following you online at the PGA Professional Championship there in Seaside, California. And I knew you were going to play well. Something just told me that you were going to play well. You didn't get off to the greatest start. But you had one of the best rounds in the field in round two. Talk about the uh, what it was like being a part of that event. A really cool experience. I'm going to back up a little bit prior to the championship and talk about the qualification to get into that. Southern California yeah. is a beast of a section to get out of. We've got Michael Block, Kenny Pigman, a lot of fantastic players, Brian Smock. A lot of those gentlemen are playing in PGA Tour events many times throughout the year, up, upwards of, you know, six, five or six events a year. Those guys are good. And oftentimes to get out of our section, to qualify for the PGA National Championship, you've got to take three rounds under par. And my very last round, um, I fired a 66 and jumped up into a tie for third place. And that was so exhilarating, just a lot of fun, um, because I wasn't in the top 10, which we had 10 qualifying positions. I wasn't in the top 10 going into that day. But to fire a 66 and to secure a spot was just fantastic. So leading into... Wow. Being able to stay in California and go to the championship, um, be able to drive up there was really neat. And I had a fantastic caddy lined up. And about a week before the event, um, she wasn't able to get off work. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, what's going to what's going to happen now? I don't have my caddy. And this is all walking event. You know, it's like pretty, pretty true event where it's old school. You're walking and need to have a caddy. And so I was able to have... Um, a friend last minute carried the bag and just brought a lot of positive vibes. We had a great time getting on site. Everybody was super supportive. There was only two women in the field um, out of 370 some odd pros and everything from practice round to the first round, all the, all the male PGA players were just fantastic and very supportive. Susie Whaley came out and watched for a couple of holes. So it's always great to see her. She's a wonderful yes. and a great friend to uh, come out and support us and um, it was just a really cool experience. The golf course was tough and uh, certainly getting into the rough made things hard, but I have some great memories of some fantastic shots that just came off the face beautifully, landed close to the hole, made some putts and was able to make the cut. So really excited about that. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't have been you know more excited. To see you, you know, get through and, and make the cut and be a part of the weekend uh, in that golf tournament. So kudos to you for what it was like. And like I say, you know, when I looked at your second round compared to the guys that finished in the top 10, you beat them by better than a stroke. So that's some, uh, that's some <laughs> great playing. Congratulations. Good for you. Thank you. 
Allison, I mentioned how you're one of two women who have reached master professional status on the PG and the LPGA side. But, you know, you are bridging gaps that people have never been able to do. You're forging new territory that no, nobody else has been able to get through. But it hasn't always been easy for you to do so. I was reading an article that you wrote for World uh, Golf World magazine earlier this year, and people didn't always embrace you for being able to do the things that you're able to do and, and uh, weren't, weren't always so supportive of uh, the things that you wanted to achieve in your golfing career. Talk about some of the struggles that you had to deal with along the way. Certainly. That, that article that came out was um, a pretty true picture of what many women face if they're really involved in the PGA or just golf in general. And women, for the most part, have been a minority in this game. And when you're accomplished and you're trying to climb up the ladder um, and you're doing the best you can to be a leader and be successful, that's not always looked and supported with other professionals. Sometimes it can be quite a bit um, full of jealousy and create a toxic work environment. And so for me personally, my career really started off with a lot of success and had some wonderful mentors and some wonderful people encouraging me to find my niche in golf and I landed at a really great high-end private facility for a long time. Spent about seven years of my career there. And it was just very toxic near the end where I could see that there was no way to continue climbing the ladder as a woman and to see males around me um, receive special benefits, uh, playing benefits, or to receive compensation, tips, different lessons, and just based on, on gender. And the other women that I worked with felt very similar in that regard. And so it's, it can be tough in certain work environments to be a successful woman because a lot of times there's only one. Um, a lot of clubs will just hire sort of that token female assistant or that female professional. And it's very rare to have a club have several females or to have a female who's at an executive level, a director of golf or a GM. And um, so it hasn't always been easy. But one of the things that has been a savior for me is my membership within the PGA and the top, whether it's the executive directors or the staff at headquarters in Southern California have always been so supportive. And this really comes down to, in my section, Tom Addis and Jeff Johnson and Nikki Gatch. They have been the, the top three uh, cheerleaders and supporters of my career and many of our 100 female members in Southern California, which has just been fantastic. And really when I branched off on my own and started creating my own business and basically became my own boss, it's certainly way more easier to be successful because there's no competition. I'm just competing against myself. But in the in the workforce where you maybe have two or three other men who are vying for lessons um, or that are looking to maybe move into the head professional position, there certainly certainly seemed to be some jealousy and it was very difficult. But those experiences taught me very important values, uh, taught me how to manage difficult situations and made me the golf professional I am today. So although it was difficult to get through, certainly allowed me to be where I am today. 
Allison, I want to switch gears and I only got a couple of more minutes with you. So I wanted to get a couple of playing lessons for our listeners. And uh, in particular, one listener, my boy, Angelo Kane, that uh, um, from a pitch shot perspective, if we've got a wedge in our hands and for Ange, you get a wedge in his hands and he's, the anxiety level goes through the roof because he's going to chili dip that shot three or four times when you're 5, 10, 15 yards off the green. How can we do a better job? of getting the ball close when we've got either a wedge or a sandwich in our hands, or maybe that's not even the right club to choose. But if you're five to 15 yards off the green, how do we do a better job of getting the ball close to the hole? Well, I certainly would like to look at the type of club selection because many players use high loft and a lot of bounce when they're close to the green just out of habit. And that oftentimes isn't the best. Sometimes a lower lofted club with less loft, like an eight iron or seven iron, where you can make um, a resemblance of a putting stroke can oftentimes be a much more successful shot because you can keep the ball low and just let it roll to the hole. But there's certainly going to be those times where maybe you've got a patch of rough in between yourself and your landing area and you're pretty close to the green. So you need to use a high lofted wedge. And I think tempo is of utmost importance. If you have a player that brings the wedge back too quickly and then slows down in, in order to compensate or brings the wedge back too slow and speeds up to compensate, that disruption and irregularity in tempo is a definite pitch shot killer. And a lot of times working with players, just getting their tempo more on track, whether it's using a metronome or I prefer to use blast technology, the sensor that can attach to the end of the putter, using sort of those kind of rhythm and beat setters, if you will, really gets the club moving in a pretty rhythmic fashion. And oftentimes the technique takes care of itself. So those would be my my two tips, if you will, is take a look at club selection and see if you can go lower and try to resemble more of a putting stroke. And then number two, really work on the rhythm and the tempo of the actual movement. And Allison, you've got a great tip for how to hit the ball out of a fairway bunker. Take us through that shot. How do we do it, do that more successfully without chunking it or blading it, you know, into the woods? So to get out of a fairway bunker, less is more. And what I mean by that is once you get your feet settled in the sand, you're really trying to limit how much the lower body is moving. So having a more centered approach with the lower body will allow the golf club to get more contact with the ball. Even just a slight shift moving over to the right-hand side can allow in the downswing the club to grab too much sand and then you just kind of fluff it out. Or spending too much of your pressure on the lead side of your body, you can hit more of the top of the ball and drive it kind of into the sand. So having the lower body really quiet down, that's where I'd say that less is more. Using more of an upper body or a belt up rotation back and through really allows the club to get more on the ball and then certainly make sure that you grip down so as much as your feet are digging into the sand I sort of use that as my rule of thumb for how much I move my hands down the golf club and that effectively allows the club to become a bit shortened so you get more control out of those shots so less is more when you're in the fairway bunker. Allison, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you on your website or on social media as well. Social media is the free marketing of our generation. So certainly on Instagram, Allison Kurt Golf, Facebook, YouTube, all with the same handle. 
every once in a while, um, I'll throw out a tweet at golf66girl. But really, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube are my, my top three where I'll share content and different types of content on three of those different handles, whether it's longer videos on YouTube or short little 60-second stuff on Instagram. And then if you'd like to reach out for any mental coaching or physical lessons, heading to allisonkurtgolf.com has a pretty comprehensive section about uh, my teaching philosophy, how to book a lesson, and where to find me. Allison, always great having you as part of the show. Thank you for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to come back and be a part of it. I hope you'll come back and join me again much sooner next time. Shame on me for waiting as long as I did to get you back as part of the show, but you're fantastic. And I wish you a ton of luck coming up here at the in the Women's uh, uh, PGA Championship and really look forward to following all the great things you're going to do the rest of the year. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for the invitation. And I have to say, um, echoing the, the first guest you had, you are just a huge cheerleader for all golf and all golf pros on social media. Every Sunday, my face just lights up with you recognizing myself and many of my wonderful colleagues in the organization. And um, you certainly share a lot of our content and you're always cheering us on. So thank you so much of that. It's been great to build a friendship with you, even though we've never met in person. I feel like I know you just through our interviews and how much love and support you show um, all golf professionals in this industry. So thank you for that. And it's always an honor and a joy to be on your show. I appreciate you very much, Allison. Thank you very much for that. Best of luck. Take care. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. See you, Allison. That's Allison Kurt, C-U-R-D-T. Allison Kurt, I tell you, there's not a more talented instructor and there's not just a more wonderful person than Allison Kurt out there for anything that you need. And she does, you know, she does speaking engagements as well. So if you need help with your game, you need help with the psychology around the game, you need a, a keynote speaker, you, you just need someone to uh, sit and chat with about, you know, sports issues and that sort of thing. It's just, she's such a well-rounded individual and a, such a great instructor and a wonderful person. And I can't thank her enough for her time. Look forward to having Allison back on the show much sooner. I promise you, folks, much sooner next time. All right, before I get to my next guest, Scott Felix, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. Check them out online at PositiveVibesGolf.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. Their head covers and putter covers are a unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts and a great on-course training aid to stay positive and put those you know positive happy images in your mind when you see their when you see their head covers and their product covers you're going to know exactly what i'm talking about go online to positivevibesgolf.com to check it out i also want to welcome golf pride to the next on the t family in golf light grip pressure releases power golf pride engineered a secret the pros know a larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure Plus four technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and experience the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under. I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under, men's performance briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, which is another story. 
And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effects. A visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at twounder.com. And that's the number two, UNDR.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Scott Felix. Scott has 20 years of experience in club fitting and repair. He's been working with guys that have been out on tour like Lauren Roberts, Casey Wittenberg, Tom Stickney, our good friend Sean McKeel. Scott has been named a top 100 club fitter by Golf Digest, Callaway, Mizuno, and Ping. It's, you know, I tell you what, if it's happening with respect to golf equipment, Scott's your guy. Anything you need, you need to go see him. If you're anywhere near Memphis, Tennessee, and you want to get perfectly fit for your golf clubs, or better yet, have him build a set for your swing, you really need to go see him. Check him out online. FelixClubWorks.com is his website on social media, at FelixClubWorks. And I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris, for having me. Scott, I always like to start with you by talking about one of the myths around club fitting, and that is that tour players or low handicappers are really the only ones that need to worry about being fit for their clubs, when actually the opposite of that is what's the case, right? High handicappers aren't good enough not to get fit. Talk about some of the success stories you've had with helping people break 100. That That's exactly right. I have so many people. I had a gentleman in the other day that, you know, was just really just couldn't believe that shafts really made a difference. Different clubs really helped out a lot and getting him in there and doing stuff. And, you know, results vary from person to person. And, uh, we ended up doing some different things, getting him set up. We went through all types of drivers of what he was looking for, spending his current driver a little too much, leaving it out to the right. I was able to put some different combinations together, started hitting it a little further, more consistent for him. And then at the, the end of the session, you know, an hour later, we picked up 32 yards from his current driver and hit it further than he's ever hit it wow. before. And to your so, point, you right, know, that, I think that is that is something people don't understand enough is that really the shaft is the engine of the golf club, right? It makes all the difference. Exactly right. You know, the head's the chassis. You got the, the shaft that matches up with your golf swing that gets the club head back to the ball the best way based on how you load it. And then the and then the golf ball is the gas. You want to make sure that you're dialed in in all those areas, making sure that all that stuff's performing and working towards giving you a little more spin, launching a little bit lower, launching a little bit higher, trying to make it go a little straighter. And once you kind of get all those combination and variables all dialed in from the settings that you can do with the hosel nowadays, the uh, different weight configurations on these drivers, get all of them perfectly matched up, people just start playing more consistent golf, they're hitting less balls out of bounds. They have more of an opportunity to put an iron on their second shot when they go and play golf, which makes them relax a lot more. They don't put so much stress on that tee game as much, and then they're shooting lower and lower scores as they go out. So if you really think about you know, kind of deconstructing our swings and then really building it back up from from the ground up, when you when you are doing a fitting, is it how do you how do you assess like all right? 
Is, is it this head? Is it this shaft? Is it this grip? Is it this grip thickness? All that sort of stuff. How do you go through sort of that fitting process? What's it like when people come to visit you? When when somebody walks in, you know, the first thing I'm doing is the most important parts, kind of the interview. You know, what are you looking to do? Are you, you know, what is your miss? Because I get them just in a small snapshot of time of seeing what they're doing that day in front of me. And, you know, if they say, hey, I, I, I miss the ball right when I miss the ball. I had a guy earlier today um, just said, you know, I hit the ball a little high. I kind of hit it in the neck just a little bit. I miss the ball to the right. I don't understand why. You know, can we get something that works for me better where I'm hitting the ball a little straighter? I would love to hit, maybe draw the ball a little bit more. And watching what that person's doing when I'm getting them on the track, man, and seeing ball flight, I'm starting to figure out exactly why after the first handful of shots. And then I start looking at their setup. You know, this gentleman had the ball a little bit too far back in the stance, and he had a little bit of a weak left hand. So just talked to him about that, moved his golf ball up a little bit more, gave him a couple other options with a little more upright lie. Before you know it, he's getting the ball on a better ball flight, going out, wasn't floating because the face wasn't open, and he wasn't hitting down on it as much, and he's starting to hit that little natural draw. And again, we picked up some more yardage and hitting the ball a lot more consistent with less effort. So as you're watching these guys do stuff, there's things that are going in my mind, knowing how different combinations work for certain players. So certain club heads are coming to mind, certain ones I'm not even looking at at all. And I just start giving them different options and different things and just showing them, hey, if they hit it high and right, I'm trying to see how I can get it to go low and left first. And then if we can kind of work our way back, and find the happy medium, then we're, then we're, it's a win-win for both of us. So, um, it's just things in my head as I'm going through watching what they're doing, what their tendencies are, how they're holding on to the golf club. If they've got, you know, too big of a grip and they're wearing a medium large glove, talking to them about how bigger grips and smaller grips could help or hinder what you're trying to do, ball position, forward shaft lean. As you start talking through these these common sense areas with people, they're starting to understand why they're seeing what they're doing. At the same time, I'm giving them something that functionally works for them better. And then they start to get better and better quicker. And that, and that's the really cool thing to see. Scott, you when you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you about one of my buddies, Bob, who has some older Adams, Adams idea irons. And, and he took them to a local fitter who said, you know, boy, if I, if I bend these, you, you need it two degrees upright, but if I bend it, they're just going to bend right back, which sounds crazy to me. But talk about, you know, bending the bending clubs and making sure we have the, you know, the right angle and the right lie and that sort of thing. Talk about the benefits of at least doing that, at least taking your clubs that you've already got and taking them to a fitter and getting those things fit. And oh, by the way, if you bend them up, do they bend back? Is that a myth? Is that a thing? That's that's a myth. That doesn't work. That's just somebody that either doesn't want to do their job or doesn't want to help the the individual out, which is sad to hear somebody say that to somebody. Um, but definitely something a little more upright. And it's all starting at the person having ball in the right position, having a square club face, you know, all these different variables. Not only is the line angle super, super important for somebody that's just beginning maybe to want to go get lessons is to get a golf club that works for them and the fact that, that it doesn't have to be overly detailed, but let's get them in a, a functional posture. So when the instructor starts working with them, 
on golf swing stuff, they can get in those positions a little bit easier. Um, if they tend to miss the ball a little to the right, we'll make it a little upright. It's not making it four and five and six degrees upright. That's ridiculous. There's just subtleties that you can do all throughout the golf club with shaft, grip, club head design, lie angle to get them in a functional better better spot. And then they can go take lessons. If they have something that doesn't really fit them from a from a setup uh, perspective, like your you know your your buddy that's six foot something, if he was just playing with standard link golf clubs, and I'm sure six something, he's got bigger hands. So if he's playing with a smaller grip and a line angle could be too flat, he's going to struggle getting the ball in the air, hitting the ball with any kind of consistency, and really hating the game a lot. So if we could get him just some different things, maybe a half inch longer a little more upright, the grip feel more comfortable in his hands, and then he got a little instruction, then he'll start enjoying the game and start seeing how much better he could play just having stuff that actually works with what he does. And I think one of the things that you mentioned about grip size is something that we don't give enough consideration to is the thickness of the grip. Talk about how important it is to make sure that you have the right grip in your hand so the club feels comfortable to you. Well, that's the, that's your connection to the golf club. That's something that you're holding on. That's the first thing you feel, uh, and it's got to feel right in your hand when you have your grip on there correctly, your hands in the right position. So um, there's people that get too big of a grip. They can't square the face up. The ball goes out to the right. You know, they can have something too small, and they're squeezing on it too hard just because they don't want to let the club slip and go down the fairway or kill somebody when it comes out of their hand. So that could cause the, the, the ball to go to the right. Um, but you explain to them, go, if I can get you in the right grip that feels comfortable to your hands based on what you do and what you need, um, it's going to feel a lot better to you. It's going to feel more balanced. It's going to feel more comfortable in your hands. You won't have to worry about squeezing on it too hard and still have control of it. You know, it's just like a tractor. If you get a grip that's too small for you, the front wheel of a tractor spins around a lot and you could miss a lot of balls to the left. You could have too much grip pressure, block them out to the right. Vice versa. If you have a, you know, the back wheel of the tractor, it takes forever to get around while the front wheels out racing it all the time. Then you could never square the face up and it could hinder you in a lot of different ways, taking head weight away, feel the golf club and it could just make the golf club feel really, really clunky. And sometimes when guys go in there and they grab a hold of a grip just out of a, a grip band, they go, man, this feels great. But until they put it on that golf club and start swinging it, it functionally will not fit them correctly unless you explain to them based on their wrist to the tip of their finger and then their finger length and you start showing them what they're doing. And then you can you can do different things with the grip. You can add extra layers of tape in certain areas to build it up if they're kind of in between sizes. There's so many different things that you can do and make that golf club feel so much better if you have somebody that's knowledgeable about golf grips and how to wrap it or put you in the right direction, whether it's something with cord in it, something that's softer, different textures, and explaining and walking somebody through that to get them that actually feel something awesome in their hands. Scott, you also have a putting lab, and that's another thing that I don't think we all give enough consideration to outside of going into you know a, a retail outlet and grabbing a bunch of putters and putting it on the putting green they may have in there and say, ah, oh, this one feels good, and we take that one, and away we go. But there's 
there's a need to be fit for our putters as well. Talk about the steps involved to make sure that we have the right putter for our game. One of the main things that I do right off the bat is trying to figure out what kind of shape looks good to them. You know, are they a mallet person? Do they like blades? Do they like lines? No lines. I'm going to show them with the laser grid board that I have. I'm able to put a mirror on the toe of the putter, and I get them to line up with different style putters with different lines and show them how they can aim something different with lines. That would be the first thing. Um, showing them with their current putter. Hey, what do you do with your putter? What's going on? Um, I did two at the end of the day today with guys that missed the putts way to the left. I put the mirror on the toe. They're aiming two to three degrees to the left of the hole from a 10-foot putt. Started showing them how I could get different lines on there, and visually it makes them move that putter in a way where it's more square. And, and they'll start aiming at a little more right or a little more left based on what I want that particular player to do. So looking and finding a putter that actually they can line up is probably the first key part. Finding a shape, and if we can get the lines and the shape, that's great. And then nowadays they have so many more putters with different style toe hangs. And what I mean by toe hangs, if you, you held the putter and just held it by the shaft, just kind of put it on a rack or the edge of a table and let the toe just kind of dangle off the edge of the, the table, you'll see how that face will either be parallel to the ground, it'll have a quarter toe hang, half, three-quarter, or full you know, full 90 degrees, point straight, toe straight down to the ground. So all those have different effects on how you release or square the putter up. So the combination of different things of getting somebody, just like the irons, in the right position to get their eyes over the ball in the right spot every time, get them some lines that they can line the putter up where they think the ball is supposed to go, and then try to match that up with a neck that matches their, their stroke type. So they can make, if they leave it out to the right, maybe they get a putter that helps them square the face up a little bit more. If they have a lot of rotation in their stroke and a lot of hands, you know, you can massage the grip being a little bit bigger and you can do different things with the toe hang to help slow that toe down just a little bit and keep that ball more online. There's a lot of stuff to it. And there's a lot of variables that go into it. And it's pretty neat watching somebody get a putter that they can keep online and actually aim it where they think that they're aiming it. And one of the things that, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand is putters have loft, typically around four degrees of loft. But then, you know, there's so where I get confused is my putter's got, you know, four degrees of loft. But, you know, in some of the lessons that I take away, you know, you got the forward press. So if I'm going to forward press, then I'm essentially taking loft off the putter. So is is for for you and when you're putting somebody together and getting their putting game going, are you a forward press guy, not a forward press guy? Should I, if I just had zero degrees of loft, would I still need to do a forward press? Talk about, you know, the, the putting game along those lines. On those lines, you know, when you're standing there face on, looking and messing around with Sam Putt Lab, figuring people out from that perspective is how they deliver the putter back to the ball. You know, do they have a little bit of lean as they're coming in into the golf ball, you know, finding out what their true effective loft is at impact. You want to have a little bit of loft at the same time I have them forward shaft lean 
And as that ball is up in your stance just a little bit, you're catching it on the upstroke with a little bit of lean, and that's what gets the ball that forward roll. It's almost think about a tennis racket when you're trying to return the ball and you want to put topspin on it. A tennis racket is coming from, you know, low to high with a little bit of lean into it, and that's what gets that ball rolling forward. And that's very similar from a putting perspective. So it's, uh, it's, it's again, just making sure that the person understands where the ball needs to be in their stance based on what they're doing. You know, does somebody have a lot of hands in it? Do we put them in a, a putter? And even some of the tour players that I deal with, we'll, we'll do one to two degrees aloft. Some we might do five degrees aloft. And one player that actually plays six degrees aloft, but he has a very unique swing. He's a great player out on the web, played a lot of PGA Tour stuff last year. He leans it extremely a lot through impact, and that's the only way he's always putted, never really had a lesson, and he putts in his short game is phenomenal. And that's somebody you don't want to mess with. That's a very unique situation, but it's all over the board. But just for the nuts and bolts of getting somebody in there is really just getting them there set up correctly. If they tend to have a little bit of throw down at the bottom, which means they kind of lose the angle, they're not leaning it through impact, you might want to just massage a little bit of loft out of there and get it from four to maybe three or two and a half to get that ball rolling a little bit better and they're not chipping it with some backspin and then rolling. Or, you know, if you have somebody that just leans it way too much through impact, you have that too. You might just add a little bit more loft to get that effective loft at impact as best as it can be to get the ball rolling true on that line. Scott, just a couple more before I let you go. And um, we talk an awful lot about short game on this show. And I think one of the things that uh, a lot of us get confused about is how to pick out the right wedge for us, whether it's pitching wedge, gap wedge, sand wedge, lob wedge. And based on what type of swing that we have, and I'm a sweeper. So when you look at guys that sweep like me or those that might be certainly more skilled that can take a divot, how do we know which and bounce is the thing? How do we know what degree of bounce is perfectly suited for our swing? That's a very, very good question, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of talk, and uh, when it comes to that, figuring out what you really do versus what you think you do. Um, I would say right off the bat that I would say 99% of people play not enough bounce. So understanding that bounce is your friend, bounce is going to help you out, even though you're a sweeper. Um, more bounce is going to let you get away with a little bit. Even if you sweep and you kind of chunk it behind it, more bounce is at least going to let the leading edge kind of stay above the ground to where you can get back to the golf ball. So we do kind of classify players based on are you a slider sweeper? Are you more neutral? Are you a digger, driver? Um, and then what kind of conditions do you play in? You know, are the bunkers at your course? Do you have kind of shallow bunkers? Do you have uh, deeper bunkers where you might need a 60-degree? If you're playing shallow stuff, 60s look cool, but I would probably tell you that you might want to do a 54 and a 58-degree versus getting something so high lofted because the more the loft 
that you have, the more of a chance you're going to have to screw it up. So I love listening to the uh, your guest right before talking about people chipping with eight irons and nine irons. That's absolutely perfect with what she was saying with more of a putting stroke motion and stuff like that. So if we can manage around the greens, understanding what kind of bounce you need for what you do and the conditions you play, it's going to make it even your misses a little bit better. So getting the ball in the right spot. Um, and you really, if you have the opportunity and you can Google online, find a place that has, demo wedges that you can actually chip on chipping greens around outside instead of just hitting balls kind of off a mat and saying, oh, this feels good. Well, uh, uh, something with no bounce versus something with a lot of bounce is going to feel absolutely almost the same off a mat. That really didn't give you a good, good reading. So if you can find anywhere, wherever you live locally, that you can grab and just grab three if you take one particular, say 58, grab something with a mid-bounce, low-bounce, and high-bounce, and just go over there and don't look at the bottoms and grab them randomly and chip from different areas that you struggle with. One will always seem to get get a little bit better results even when you miss it, and you might surprise yourself how much more bounce that you actually gravitate towards. Scott, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can check out all your great services that you provide and follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media. The best way to find me is look at felixclubworks.com, and it has tabs to all my social media links on that website. Well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Always learn something when you join me. So I hope you'll come back and do it again real soon, my friend. You're fantastic. Absolutely. I love being on the show. Uh, Thanks again for the invite and not to reiterate what she said, but exactly. I love all the, uh, all the compliments and the shout outs that you give every week to all of us that come on the show and uh, how you support uh, golf as a whole. Uh, It's awesome. And I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you, Scott. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon in between now and then. All the best to you and your family, my friend. You too, Chris. Thanks. See you, Scott. That's a great Scott Felix. Felixclubworks.com is the is his website. And at Felix Clubworks, you can find him on social media, on Twitter, and on Instagram. It's great stuff, folks. I'm telling you, we, we and, I, and I got my hand in the air here. I, you know, there's so much to learn about the golf club and the, you know, how, how the shaft impacts you know, the, the way that you're going to swing the club and how successfully you're going to hit the ball to where your intended target is. You know, Grip, I think, is something that is underappreciated for finding the right one that feels good in your hands. We are, you know, good friends with the folks over at Golf Pride. We can't thank those guys enough for being a part of the show. They've got so many great uh, grips for you. So go out to our good friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. Get some of those in your hand so you can find out which one of those feels right to you. But Scott's fantastic. Go see him. If you're anywhere near Memphis, Tennessee, he's the guy to go see to build your clubs from the ground up and it's going to make a world of difference in how, how much enjoyment you get out of the game and how well you score. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the team. My sincere thanks to Kevin Roman, 
Allison Kurt and Scott Felix for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net. On there, you're going to see our guest schedule, so you'll be able to stay up to date with who we've got coming up on the show. Plus, we link back to our site over there on Podbean, so you can stream or download any of our archive episodes for free. Plus, you can also stream us on a number of great sites, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. We're all over the net, so if you've got a favorite podcasting site, I'm sure we're on it. So check us out. Take us with you everywhere you go. You can stream us right there by downloading any of those apps, on, uh, so you'll be able to take us with you You know, on uh, wherever it is you go on your commute, at the gym, at the grocery store, wherever it is, please check us out and uh, give us a follow. That's very important to us. Uh, please also give me your thoughts. Go online to our Facebook page, Next on the Tea with Chris Mascaro. You can share your feedback with me right there. Plus, if you've got a question you'd like me to ask for you to one of our future guests that you see on our guest schedule or someone who's already been on the show, be glad to get that done for you as well. Folks, thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're making Next on the Tee part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same. It's all about